Hello and welcome to Is This Anime? I'm your anime expert, Jack Metcalf. And I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about anime, Malcolm Cloud. And join us uh, is returning guest, Kyle Bottom. Hello! I like some anime. <laughs> so, for those just joining in, each week I select an anime series or movie for Malcolm to watch, and a number of episodes that best showcase that series' strength. And last week's anime was that time I got reincarnated into a slime. Malcolm, I dread asking you this, but what was your take on that? I didn't like it. I I thought it was a stupid show and <laughs> I was not a fan and I wanted it I wanted to like it cuz it has like this crazy name that time <laughs> I got reincarnated as a slime. And then I watched it and I'm like it's not funny. It's not like weird enough. Like it's not it's kind of weird but it's not weird enough. Like it was just like all these things where I'm just just like ah blah. I'd rather watch more Dr. Stone. So, yeah, I'm not a fan. Don't recommend it. <laughs> Kyle, have you watched any of that time I got reincarnated into a slime? No, but it reminds me of this TikTok I saw about the difference between like old anime titles and new anime titles. And like old animes are called like Bleach, One Piece. And new anime is called like I died in Senpai's arms and got reincarnated. Uh, so this I'm is sure very, that's a real thing. Very uh, there, there's one. I had a coworker who told me about an anime, and I like even me. I, I I try to say anyone who watches anime can't judge anyone else who watches anime their preferences. But someone told me like, oh, yeah, I watched the show called like It's Hard to Date Girls in a Dungeon, and I'm just like, I just like gave him the dirtiest fucking look. Nice. That's a uh, show? Oh my god. Yeah, there's, there's something about that. And it's even got turned into a video game. Oh my which god. Which I guess makes sense, but uh, it's what it what it is is they've now given up on titles and then just been like, what if the first line of the show is the name of the show? <laughs> like yeah. Like that's what it is. It's like instead of being lost, it's like that time I woke up in the forest and I didn't know where I was. <laughs> Yeah. Every, every every phony title you're making up, Malcolm, is something where I'm like, I think that's probably at least a light novel. Yeah. Or like, you know, instead of Breaking Bad, it's like that time I was in the desert in an RV in my underwear and the cops were coming. Uh, but thankfully, we're not talking about, you know, uh, so-called modern anime. We're talking about uh, what's considered a, an undeniable classic. Uh, we're talking about Princess Mononoke. And Kyle... Um, this is a movie I'd always wanted to do, but the fact that Kyle, you had posted like some heartwarming um, thing on your Instagram, and it, it, you were talking about your, uh, what was it you were saying you wanted to like share your love of Ghibli movies with your child, and like I saw like in the post that like Princess Mononoke was there. Yeah, so my daughter just realized where the drawer is that has DVDs in it, and so and the thing is, she thinks they're books. Because she's very stupid. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to get slow laugh at that, but that's kind of she, so cute. She she keeps bringing them to me, and I'm like, I can't read them. But uh, yeah, one of the first movies she brought me was Princess Mononoke, and then yeah, I had her like point. She was like pointing at it, and so I just took a picture of her like little baby hand pointing at it, and I was like, uh, like uh, something like uh, teach them teach them early, or you know something like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was really heartwarming and inspired me to like you know message you because this this movie Princess Mononoke is something I've I've wanted to cover for a long time, and uh, I was like, okay, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle's the guy to do it with. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it a lot of times to the point like I own it and it's on Netflix, so like I don't have to own it; it's on Netflix, but I own it anyway. That's a good sign. That's a good sign that you you really love 
like a movie. Yeah, like but for me, I'm sh- I shamefully own, still own, uh, the DVD box set of Psych season one, and I don't know why I have held on to it. That in like Burn Notice season three. I don't know why I have these. I just found them recently. I've never even watched Burn Notice. It's it's just really like very twenty like too late two thousands. It was just like part of this like thing of like characters welcome. And it's like he's a spy who's now stuck in Miami, and uh, and, and his mentor is Bruce Campbell. Uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, so so Kyle, do you know anything about the backstory of the film Princess Mononoke, or do you want me to start? No, I would love to hear it because I yeah I I've seen it a million times, but I don't know anything about what led to it being made all right let's get into it so the origins of this film princess Mononoke, it starts in the 1970s when miyazaki drew sketches of a film about a princess living in the forest with a beast and in 1980 he wrote a story called mononoke hime which is also the japanese title of princess Mononoke. and it was a typical samurai story inspired by the famous movies of akira kurosawa and the main characters in this version include a big mountain cat which becomes a mononoke or or feral spirit and the third daughter of a warrior whose name is San Nohime, or the third princess. Mm-hmm. And the name San, the title character of the new version of, <laughs> of Mononoke Hime, is derived from the name San Nohime in the old version. Yeah. And one of the important ideas of the old version is that characters fly on clouds, which ended up being used in My, Na- My Neighbor Totoro, including also a big mountain cat being the lead character. So... This, this idea ended up germinating basically two movies. And Miyazaki, he also wanted to do a historical drama that wasn't centered around the capital city as a setting. For him, the real main characters of history were those who lived in marginal areas in the plains. And he had also begun doubting the very existence of humanity and wanted to create a film that would answer those doubts. He believed children in Japan also doubted why they needed to live. Oh my God, it's so dark. <laughs> I love the way Miyazaki thinks. I just love his... I was telling this to Kyle earlier. He's he is a person. He's such a cranky, but also like soulful man. He's like, I was just thinking, maybe children want to die. <laughs> maybe, maybe, children <laughs> maybe children consider why they even exist. So production truly began on this film in 1994 when Miyazaki began writing the film's plot and drawing the initial storyboards. Animation production commenced in 1995. And Miyazaki oversaw each of the 144,000 animation cells in the film and is estimated to have redrawn 80,000 of them. Yeah, th- this film nearly broke Studio Ghibli. It was a very stressful production. Uh, Miyazaki himself had said it would be his last film, which he has said many times. And it's he keeps always saying <laughs> that. He's like, this is the last one. Like, we covered The Wind Rises. Like, that's the last one. Yeah. And now he's got a new one coming out called How Do You Live? Which is kind of interesting that we were just talking about him like being like, do children want to live? Like, <laughs> He's like the Jay-Z of anime production. He, he is said that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now How Do You Live obviously makes sense, given his age, that this will probably be his last film. Mm-hmm. But, but that's the thing. It's like, he, he, you know, it's only because of age of him being like, you know, like close to his 80s or something that it would actually make sense for him to retire. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, Clint Eastwood still makes movies, but I guess he's he's not an animator, though. He's not as hands-on. No, but he does. He he did make The Mule recently, and that movie is wild. <laughs> That's a wild movie. Is it, is it a Miyazaki-level film? No. God, no. No. He, he has, uh, I think he is. if I'm not mistaken, he has multiple threesomes in The Mule. And that's like, that's already too many. Like, one is too many. <laughs> 
for like, hey, your great grandfather is having a threesome right now. That's like the the tone um, that I want to bring up. So yeah, no, Clint Eastwood is now just like he's a one take wonder. <laughs> he's just popping these films out, being like, I could die at any point. I gotta make more. Me Miyazaki is not a one take wonder because yeah, how do you live? The production apparently has been going on far longer than they anticipated because yeah, he he puts his life into these works. And anyways, um, so so uh, Princess Mononoke would end up costing twenty three million U.S. or about two billion yen uh, to make, and the title of the film was not Miyazaki's choice. It was producer Toshio Suzuki's idea. Miyazaki wanted it to be called The Legend of Ashitaka, which oh, is a lot more straightforward. Yeah, that t- yeah, his title makes more sense than like uh, the title that they gave it because I'm like, oh, she's not like. She's a she's a, an important character, but she's definitely not the main character. Um, and so I was like, oh, I, I was surprised by the title after watching it. It's yeah. it's a beautiful title. I think it works for what it is, um, but it's also not like a title that I, I mean. Listen, I'm, there, there's many people, including me, who have to Google. Wait, why is it called Princess Mononoke? I'm know. just glad it's not like that time I got bit by that demon. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it uh, bit my arm, and now I'm, you know, f- f- fighting to save the forest spirit. <laughs> so in one of the books I have, I, I have this book that's a collection of, like, Miyazaki essays and interviews, and it includes a planning memo for this film. And uh, <laughs> this is what Miyazaki had to say in the planning memo. He stated the film would not purport to solve the problems of the entire world. Okay, fair enough. Good, yeah, yeah. Uh, the battle between rampaging forest gods and humanity could not end well. There could be no happy ending. But even amidst the hatred and slaughter, there are things worthy of life. It is possible for wonderful encounters to occur and for beautiful things to exist. I will depict hatred, but only to show that there is something valuable. I will depict a curse to show the joy of liberation from it. I will depict the boy's understanding of the girl and the process by which the girl opens her heart to the boy. In the end, the girl will likely say to the boy, I love you, Ashitaka, but I cannot forgive humanity. Smiling, the boy would probably say, that's all right, let's live together in peace. This is the kind of film I want to make. So Princess Mononoke released in Japan on July 12th, 1997. It would gross over 20 billion yen, making 10 times its production budget back. It was the highest grossing film in Japan until Titanic came out two years later. So, of course, with the massive success came international interest. Disney had already made a deal with Ghibli in 1996. And Mononoke, along with Kiki's Delivery Service and Castle in the Sky became the first films to be dubbed by Disney. And Neil Gaiman was hired to handle the English dub script of Princess Mononoke. And Miramax Films, who was led by somebody very, very notorious, was assigned to release the movie in America on October 29th, 1999. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein. Oh, Harvey Weinstein. Being who he was, he had some notes on this movie. He, he wanted a love story to be front and center, despite there not being a traditional one in the film. The, the people at Ghibli handled this by editing a scene to make it look like Ashitaka and San were going to kiss and the executives were none the wiser. Weinstein also wanted the runtime to be cut down by 45 minutes. What? Yeah. Listen, I, I think one thing that has come out of this is that there was a lot of people who were like, Weinstein's a genius. And then like there are those compilations where it's like Hollywood stars thank Weinstein for their careers like at award shows. Yeah. Um, like that's a thing, but it's like when you look, like listen now, especially with his downfall to like directors, a lot of them were like, yeah, he was a fucking idiot, and he made try to make me cut all this stuff out, and then I would like go behind his back and like not do it, and then like the movies would turn out well, and then he would get the praise. 
So it's like, oh yeah, of course, like, you know, you get like a uh, Miyazaki film and then of course he wants to like cut it down and like have all these notes. Cause like in his mind, it's like, well, if I do that, I get more credit. And really it's like, no, fuck off. Like leave it, give Miyazaki like full reign. Like you say you do and he'll make you something great. So, I don't know. I'm going to conclude this by just saying fuck Weinstein. Like, and both of them. I think his brother doesn't get enough uh, shame. And his brother's pretty bad dude, too. So For sure. Yeah, so, guys, I was uh, I was kind of on the fence before. But now hearing this, I don't think Harvey Weinstein is a good person. <laughs> Malcolm finally made the case. For yeah. Kyle. Um, Malcolm really sold me on it. Yeah, I was on, I was like watching some TikToks and they were making good arguments as to why he was a pretty good guy. But now after, <laughs> after this podcast, I've really changed my mind. So, so the legend goes uh, that Miyazaki sent Weinstein a katana with a note attached saying no cuts. But in a 2005 interview, Miyazaki clarified what happened. Actually, my producer did that. Although I did go to New York to meet this man, this Harvey Weinstein, and I was bombarded with this aggressive attack. All these demands for cuts. He smiles. I defeated him. <laughs> nice, nice. And he said that in t- 2005 when he when Weinstein was still yeah. like on the prowl. So like, this is good. I'm glad. And also, he should have been wait, 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 like wait. on the prowl. Did he do something other than try to cut Princess Mononoke? Let's just say yes. <laughs> yes. Um, Let's just say his win for Shakespeare and love got really into his head. Uh, <laughs> and there was also just a bunch of other things uh, when they were, were when they were first recording, like the original uh, uh, English dub. They they weren't using Neil Gaiman's script at all. They were using like Weinstein's notes, and that further delayed ugh. the release of the the uh, North American version. Eventually, the the movie as it stands that we we see on Netflix is the one with Neil Gaiman's script correctly done but again there there was this whole battle between ghibli and uh weinstein that thankfully ghibli won and you know what it, it wouldn't have been the first uh ghibli dub that was bad if, if that had happened either because there were definitely some earlier uh ghibli dubs that are, that are very hard to track down now of course where you know it the translation isn't one-to-one and then as the fuck you they though miramax left gaiman's name off the uh north american poster yeah he's not credited like even like i um like which is kind of wild. Yeah. But I guess back then he's not a big name. But even then, it's still kind of shitty to do it, it was, that it work. Was, it seemed like it was a fuck you for Gaiman. Uh, it was a fuck you to Gaiman for siding with Ghibli, basically. Because he was pretty protective. Yeah. Right. Listen, that's a win for Gaiman. <laughs> Gaiman <laughs> picked the right uh, right side. G- yeah. Gaiman looks good. Like, yeah. And it looks like his career worked out well for him. So, oh, One thing I will say before we move on is that um, you know, there's always a big discussion as to whether subbed anime or dubbed anime is better. Mm-hmm. But the dub for Princess Mononoke is really good. Like the the English voice acting is awesome. It's got an all star cast. Yeah, I looked up the cast afterwards because I was like, this was really good. And like the they're heavy hitters in this cast. Like every like they like knocked it out of the park. You got Billy Crudup. He's uh, Ashitake's a dub. You got Claire mm-hmm. Danes as San. You've got um, Mini Driver as uh, Lady Iboshi. You know, you've got Tara Strong, like the notable uh, voice actress. She's Kaya. Um, hell, uh, who is it? Like Billy Bob Thornton. I was like, is that Billy Bob Thornton's voice? And then you yeah. got like John DiMaggio and like 
Gillian or is it Gillian or Jillian Anderson? Jillian um, Anderson. Jillian Anderson. Hell, like even Jada Pinkett Smith is, you know, actually doing a great job here. I'm like Keith David. I'm like this whole cast is like spot on. Really? Good. No, it's great, and and you can see in interviews with the cast that they they seem to actually get the movie. They weren't just like, oh, it's a Japanimation. We're treating this like a silly thing. No, like Billy Crudup clearly like gave a crap and seemed to really understand what the movie was going for. Oh yeah, and like you can hear it in the way they deliver their lines. Like it's not all like over the top, you know, t- typical anime dub acting. It's like it's there's so much emotion in it. They very clearly understand you know, the kind of the mood, the theme or mood and theme. Those are different things. They understand oh, yeah. like what the, what, what the, uh, what the atmosphere of the movie is. It's, yeah. uh, th- this movie really starts because again, like it starts off with an attack by, you know, this kind of demon bore. Such a good way. Like that's the thing about these like studio Ghibli movies. They don't, they don't tend to follow the same beats that like a typical North American movie would, but like this one really, jumps out of the gate like right away yeah yeah i mean i mean this one because uh, i like i go into all these like blind like i don't like really read anything about it like i don't and like just like the opening and going like all i knew was like this is kind of fantasy like and i'm not a big fantasy guy but like this obviously kind of blew me away but yeah that opening like just with all the like the crawling like the demons that were Oof. kind of worms like holy shit that's like nightmare inducing i'm like holy that's like one of the more horrific things I've seen like watching any of these shows. Like, yeah. It's just like, yeah, just, I'm like, I don't know what that fear is called, but I'm like, oh man, that's definitely a fear. Like, it's like, I couldn't imagine seeing that in real life. And it's, it's such an outlier for Miyazaki. This, I mean, this is without a doubt his most violent film by a mile. Oh yeah. I mean, people are getting like, you know, beheaded arms getting cut off. Like it, you know, really like brutal ways of dying um hell like even like later on with the boar um god and like just like him being beat up and everything and i was just like oh my god you're like you can see like exposed rib yeah and like just like blood leaking out of him and yeah it's disgusting yeah for a moment i was like is this akira like like it's like this is like taking those kind of cues there were definitely some visuals that i I felt uh reminded me of akira for sure it's funny because um, there's, Miyazaki has like gone back and forth just about whether or not the film is appropriate for children, because mm. at, at, le- at least in the time in Japan, there were only basically two age ratings, like adults only or or for everyone. Right. And Miyazaki was uh, at first he was like, no, I would not show children this or no, you should show children. I think I think he eventually settled on, you know, you need to show children this to show show them the truth of humanity and stuff. Nice. And, oh, wow. um yeah, and when actually, I posted that when I posted that Instagram, uh, a friend of mine who has like a ten year old was like, "Oh yeah, we." Uh, I showed this to my daughter accidentally. Uh, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, was it the demon boar?" And he's like, uh, "It's when the boar decomposed." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, that part was pretty gross." <laughs> this one feels like it'd be good to like because like I have a a sister and she's uh, thirteen. I'm like, I feel like she's at the age now where it's like this. You could probably show her and like. Yeah, you know, it's sort of like she could understand it. She wouldn't be like too terrified by it. But I feel like you go younger, like, yeah, 10 years old. I'm like, oh, you're inducing nightmares. Unless that 10 year old is like, I want to watch Saw now. Like, that's like, because <laughs> I was that kid. I was definitely like, I watched Scream too young. And then, but I oh, realized yeah. it was funny. Like, I was laughing at it. And then I was like, oh, I got to watch more horror movies. That's um, so funny. 
But then I got like, then my dad made me watch the thing. And then I was like, okay, maybe I'm not allowed too young. So. So, so the way they advertised this film in Japan was because they wanted parents to know what they were getting into. So they put the most violent scenes up in the front of the trailers. So you wait know. a minute. So like if you're so I know with like how trailers work, they usually, you know, like if say something's like rated like PG, you know, you put PG trailers in front of it. It's like imagine just like going to like I don't know, like this was released in like 97, so like I'm assuming there may have been a Pokemon movie or a Dragon Ball movie that came out around this time. It's like imagine going to that movie and then like before it the trailer and it's just like all the scenes. It's like the bore. It's like decomposing and it's like people getting their heads cut off and it's like you know, Princess Mononoke coming soon. Like, that's like, would be like, what the fuck? Well, as we know, Malcolm, uh, like, you know, eight-year-olds were reading JoJo. So. I so. guess it's one thing to read JoJo at that age, because you're like, do, yeah. do you really understand it? It's another thing to then, like, watch it. And then also watch it in, like, an unsuspecting environment, which is, like, that's, what I was thinking. It's like yeah, you're going in sure. being like, I'm going to watch the, the Sands get defeated or whatever. You're, 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 you're watching My Neighbor Totoro. You're watching, like, the TV um, release of it or whatever, and this just pops up. And you're like, okay, yeah. what the fuck? Uh, Ashitaka, he kills it, but this, the corruption ends up cursing his right arm. The curse, man. This curse. Yeah. One thing I will say about how this movie starts is I love it because you know exactly who the main character is right away. Like he, mm-hmm. he rides up on Yakul like 30 seconds into the movie and you know right away they're like, oh, that's the guy. That's the guy who's the hero, you know, because yeah, it's great. It's great um, like way to get people engaged right away. You know, you know, there's a demon, you know, that that's the guy. Right. And then they fight. Boom. Perfect. They fight. Boom. And yeah, so the, this, this demon boar, it dies and it was corrupted by this like iron ball, which again, it's iron ball representing, you know, the technology, technological advances uh, in the new world, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I thought after he got corrupted that they were going to immediately like cut his arm off in a really graphic scene, like, like 127 hours style. I was like, is this, is this where it's going? Is it going to, going to go with this? Like, like just like cut it off to save him. But I do like that. It's like, you know, obviously it sets up the movie of being like him trying to control this like demon that's in him and being, you know, because there's so many allusions to it being like, it's going to like destroy my soul before it like destroys my body. And yet there's always this like pureness to Ashitaka where he's just like, you know, constantly like putting it at bay. And I like, kind of like how he like puts it underwater as if that's going to do anything. It's like, I'm going to drown it. <laughs> like, it's like a burn, right? It's like, it's like, I'll put it underwater to like, make sure it like, you know, feels no. a little better. No, he doesn't get that lucky. So yeah, he, he's told by the, the village wise woman that he could find a cure to the, in the West, uh, but he can't return to his homeland. Not for now, at least. He's not told that he can find a cure. He's told that he's going to die. <laughs> and she says, you can either, you can stay here and die or you can rise to meet your fate. So he goes, he goes like off to explore and to find out what's out there. Mm-hmm. But she definitely doesn't tell him that he can be, he'll be, he'll be cured. He's, you know, it's very well established that he's going to die from this curse. Although I guess it's a thing of like, well, is is life the curse is that the is that the like the theme of this is like you everyone will die of it oh man this is so dark now but it's a uh, hey man that's miyazaki uh, for you though but but you know i also was like wondering about it in terms of like well if it like actually takes over him like it puts all of his like the people in his village at risk because he's obviously like 
the strongest guy or like he's like clearly I'm like special in terms of like his abilities and so it's like could anyone in his village actually like take him on if he like turned evil so i do yeah. kind of appreciate that he sort of sacrifices himself from that town so they can go off and like either yeah get defeated by this curse or rise to meet it as you said earlier kyle mm-hmm. yeah it's like he can you know he can sit back and die that's a that's a that's a thing you can do or he can like go try and figure out what happened like why did this why did this boar turn into a demon what's this like what's this iron ball all about you know yeah so then he like obviously he he and his uh trusty el- is it an elk i think it's an elk uh, yeah cool um, like that's an el- like it feels like it's an elk but i wasn't like it has horns so it's like not really it's it sort of seems like a mythical sort of you know deer elk caribou kind of creature i think it's supposed to be some sort of like an elk yeah i think that sounds about right i can't remember i think billy bob thornton mentions it when they're when they're in the campfire scene after uh he sells the after he gives the the gold nugget to that lady oh man oh, yeah. maybe, i think maybe he mentions yakul but uh yeah i don't know he's, he's some he's, he's kind of mythical he's he's a he's an animal that we don't have in canada yeah. yeah, I mean, I was a big fan of Yakul. Like, I was just like, he's, you know, I was just like, oh, like he's just this loyal companion. Like it was just like, like he won't leave uh, Ashitakia's side, and I kind of appreciate it. It was almost like a dog. Like it was almost like, but it was like seemed like a deeper loyalty, loyalty than a dog. Yeah, like he's like the one animal that doesn't really like that's featured heavily that doesn't like have a yeah have a line of dialogue. I was just thinking that about that now. I was like. Because there's that scene later on where it's like you're cool, and I think it's the wolf, and they're kind of yeah. looking at each other, and you can hear the wolf talk, but you don't ever hear you cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's like a clear an understanding between the two. I was mm. like, oh man, I'm like I'm in. Like I was like, this is so great. <laughs> like, and they're like, you can go, you're free now, and he just like won't leave when uh, Ashitaka is kind of like I don't know, he's not necessarily dying, but he's like sort of like being revived in like the pond and like the forest mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Uh, like just like that again, that loyalty of like, no, I'm not going to leave him. Like it's not just like, oh, I was not like he was not my like master, if you will. It's like no, there was just something like again, is it friendship? Is it less loyalty? Like there's almost something deeper. And that's the thing is that like San Princess Mononoke, she when Ashitaka wakes up in the in the heart of the forest, she's like talking about Yakul, and he's like, who told you his name was Yakul? And he's like, and she's like, he told me. Like she can speak to animals, whether they're, you know, the kind that actually crumble and groan or if they're um, like just regular animals. <clears throat> so anyways, when Ashitaka is heading west, he meets Jikobo. Uh, Jikobo G- is an interesting character. And I love how Miyazaki, he he has such empathy, even for a character who's, who's somewhat a villainous or pretty much like, you know, one of the, one of the shittier characters in the film. Uh, yeah, definitely. He, ta- he talked about this in an interview. He said the reason why um, Jikobo doesn't suffer like a, a punishment uh, or whatever is because he feels Jikobo represents the majority of humanity, and therefore to condemn wow. Jikobo would be t- would be to condemn the majority of, of of us all. Oh God! Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, because I was expecting like Jikobo uh, to be. Uh like torn apart like i thought he was just gonna like he was gonna have like this brutal death because i think that's like 
the expectation. I kind of like that it was like sort of subverted. No, and and um, you know, I, I guess you know we're already kind of jumping ahead, but none of the characters in this film uh, suffer any any sort of fate or karmic retribution that you would expect. I mean, all Lady Iboshi gets is like she loses an arm, even yeah. though she's been like hunting like forest gods, uh, like like elmer fudd like she's just like i'm gonna get you <laughs> like that's like she literally like that's how i felt i was like you're just hunting like you know um but she has so much confidence and i although i had like a whole thing where i'm like i don't understand why she's fighting trying to get like rid of these forest gods other than it's like sort of a symbol for like industrialization of like forested areas and like right. wanting the land to like you know kind of build up her empire yeah, because she does run a place called Iron Town. Like it's not subtle at all that it's called Iron Town. The whole thing with her killing, um, like the forest gods, is that yeah, like if the forest gods are dead, then there's nothing to stop her and the people of Iron Town from like cutting down all the trees or uh, you know digging up all the iron. You know, it's like yeah, it's a, a metaphor for industrialization. The th- Miyazaki's thoughts on Lady Eboshi, like Lady Eboshi Miyazaki has said, is his favorite character in the film. She's great. She's like, well, what, what makes her so interesting is that, you know, like, and especially for like a historical sort of set drama, it's like, this is like a, a powerful woman, right? Yeah. Who is like leading charge where like people go and like, well, we got to find out what Lady Eboshi has to say. Like, it's always just like, we got to like make sure the message gets to her. Uh, and then they, there's a lot of release, like essentially outside of Eshitaka, every like everyone else, I think, you know, are these like powerful female characters, which I like, I noticed mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's like such a great choice. Um, but yeah, she's definitely this, like, she's the clear cut leader. There's no like my, I'm a widow and I'm taking over for my husband. It's like, no, yeah. the implication is it's like she did this on her own or like, you know, she created this uh, power on her own. Yeah. yeah, and and she's doing this all for the for the sake of her own people, and and Miyazaki has has compared her to the devil, but in a positive sense, uh, because, <laughs> because again, he's like you know she she does use deception, she does use trickery, but it, it's all for you know it's all for what she needs to do to get done, and he he admires her for that. So he you know if we're talking Miyazaki speedwagon, Lady Eboshi is Miyazaki speedwagon in this movie. Well, I mean, there. I think I get that. Like, there's like this element of like, especially in like Christianity, like how Satan, like, oh, he's a former angel who's fallen, but like, and yet he, like, Satan, kind of represents like not following the rules, right? And sort of like the freedom of that. And I can kind of see like how, like, you know, depending on your interpretation of that, how that's like a freeing element that like the devil's not maybe as scary as you thought. Um, it's yeah. still, you know, obviously there's a lot of like, hor- you know, horrific imagery, but I can, I kind of like respect that. Like I kind of respect Miyazaki being like, yeah, she's, kind of, she's kind of like the devil. Like I kind of like, I kind of get it. <laughs> you well, know, the and, devil. And and the thing is about this film though, again, is like every character, you know, they, they've got their own motivations and each, each of those motivations, you know, again, San is, you know, trying to do what's best for the spirits and stuff, but it's also, you know, she kills people too. <laughs> and Eboshi is, you know, going against the wishes of the spirits, but she's doing it for her own people. So there's, there's pros and cons to each side of uh, their perspective, basically. And that, again, that's, that's why this movie, <laughs> we're jumping around quite a bit, but you know, there's a reason why this movie ends with uh, 
no one's suffering any sort of Disney level karmic retribution because in Miyazaki's mind, like every character is was doing what was right for themselves. Yeah, I mean, even like the Billy Bob Thornton character, like like he does give up the head at a certain point when he's like, all right, it's over. Like he does give up the head. But I do kind of respect that, like in terms of like, I think there is this human element, especially if you're not someone with like a tremendous amount of power that like you're going to take any little scrap you can to feel like you have some control in what's going on in your life. And so it's like, yeah, I can see how there's like this almost this human element of like everyone going and like, yeah, like if you get the opportunity to take something for yourself, like, do you do it or do we constantly have to be like, no, but what about everyone else? Right. Uh, when yeah. sometimes in the world, like, it doesn't feel like anyone else is kind of giving a shit about you. So, yeah. like, I, again, I can't, I get, I, it's a good metaphor. Like, these are good metaphors. I'm trying to be funny, but I'm like, these are just good metaphors. These characters are just like really strong and like clear. Like, there's no like, I'm not going like, man, there's a lot of vagueness going on here. It's like, nope, they're all like, this is what this person represents, or animal in this case. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you you could write entire essays on just each character, basically. Man, if you're in a film studies class right now, like yeah, <laughs> oh, this is man. like one of those movies where, like, if I was like when I was in film studies in university, I'm like I should have been writing about this. Like this this had so much fodder for me. Instead, I wrote a, a whole essay about, uh, the, ironically enough, the Clint Eastwood film uh, "Where Eagles Dare," <laughs> oh. and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of fodder there. When, when uh, Ashitaka when he fights those like bandits and the violence in that scene is just it's I mean I guess you were already prepared with the boar scene in the beginning but when when he's firing off arrows that straight up decapitate people and take people's arms off you're just like what the fuck well that's the thing is like so the opening scene you're like okay this is a regular guy fighting a demon awesome I love it and then when he leaves town and yeah he like stumbles across uh you know like bandits attacking these villagers that first moment where he like pulls back on the arrow and you can see like his arm like it's like it looks like there's worms like just gooping around all underneath the surface like it's like bulging all over the place it's like it's a, it's this kind of moment where you just sit there you're like okay this is the thing he fought the demon the demon touched him now he's got demon strength it all makes sense it's also a horrific image to like to see oh, things yeah. crawling underneath your skin. Like that's always like my fear. That's my fear. That's why I don't go into forests very often. Is that I'm like, what if something gets under my skin? You know this. That scene also has like one of the really funny moments. Uh, like Gallo's humor, like gruesomely funny, is uh, the bandits are chasing the villagers. A villager turns around with a sword, and the bandit has like I don't know what you call it. It's like a it's like a katana, but it's like the length of a spear. You know what I mean? Yeah, and he, he he cuts the guy's arm off, and then the other bandit goes, "Move! In, they're unarmed." And when it, every time it happens, I'm like, mm, "Good, good work, very funny." But well, you know what's even crazier than decapitating someone is he shoots like a guy's sword and rips both of his arms off. It's so cool, and it's it, again not what you'd expect from the guy who did My Neighbor Totoro. I like that, like, when he gets violent, it is excessive. Like, that is, like, yeah. hey, I'm going to go over the top with it. Uh, instead of it, like, you know, it you know could have been toned down a little bit more. But I appreciate that it's like, no, this is what it is. Like, this is kind of what, you know, the demon in the arm is all about. It's like, it's going to give him the strength to do these sort of, like, impossible moves. 
where it's like, yeah, just with an arrow, it's like both arms are gone now. Um, yeah. Or like, I love there was like, uh, I think there's a, a scene where like these, ra- these samurais are coming and he's, um, Ashitaka is just like, no, get away from me. Like, don't come here, please. Like, and then he like shoots the one guy's head off and you just see the other guy in the horse just turn around immediately and leave. Yeah. I think like with this is like, you, first of all, you should have watched the film before you listen yes. to this. Um, but I also feel like there are definitely moments where everything, like there's parallels to everything where it's like, yeah, yeah. You have the, like the initial attack. And then later on, it's like the samurais. The one thing I didn't really, I was like, wait, when did the samurais kind of come into the play? Like, I felt like that was the one thing where I was like, did I miss something? Did I like, did I miss like a, did I, was I not paying attention for like one scene? Well, yeah. And like, that's, you know, Lady Eboshi is building up Irontown to be strong and resilient. Like when you first see Irontown, it's impressive, right? They have like the, the spiked fence going all around it. They have, if you look below the fence, there's like, you know, big spiky poles sticking out all over the place. And they're building up that fortress to keep the animals away, but also to have a safe place from, you know, these like samurai lords. Cause you have to think of it. Like there's two, there's two kind of mixed worlds in princess Mononoke. There's the fantastical world of like these beasts and things. And then there's like the very real world of like, you know, conflict and like kind of that feudal Japan, you know, samurai Lords, that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. And lady Eboshi, what makes her different is that she's got guns. Yes, that's the very big thing. <laughs> she got those guns. That's why she's getting all that iron. <laughs> yeah, it is, I guess that is true. It's one of those things where, like, I guess when I was watching it, I like didn't even like clock in. It's like, oh yeah, she's got guns. But like now that you just pointed that out, I was like, oh yeah, she's like the only one with a gun. Like the, yeah. they're the only ones with guns. Like they're yeah. definitely like infinitely more powerful with them than they are without them. So, oh totally. Uh, and they, and they obviously play big important parts later on. Um, I also just love like in Iron Town, it's like sort of like on this cliff, and yeah, it's just like this really impressive. Like I was like, oh damn, if I was in there, like living in that area, era, I would definitely want to live in Iron Town. <laughs> I'd be like, that's safe. Yeah, I love Iron Town. I think it looks awesome. Um, it's got like, yeah, it's a, it's you know, it's a fortress, but it's like a community, right? There's the huge, there's the the bellows, right? The big uh, where they where they make enough heat to to smelt the iron. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I love the scene where um he's uh where Ashitaka is talking to the women who work the bellows, and again they're like you know it's a lot better than you know working in a brothel. Yeah. No. Yeah. Wait. I was thinking about that scene just now. It's just like oh yeah, like yeah. Again, she's empowering these women to like have these other jobs that aren't just like, yeah, like you said, just like I'm in a brothel in Tokyo. Well, yeah, exactly. and she, you know, she's got lepers uh, building the firearms. So again, Lady Eboshi is like a very progressive woman and very progressive leader. Uh, would you dare to say she's a girl boss? Hashtag <laughs> <laughs> girl boss. Hashtag girl boss. I, I'm sure someone, someone has said this. <laughs> Someone's going to like listen to this and be like, wait a minute, if Lady Eboshi is also doing this, but they've equated her to being the devil, is the devil a progressive? <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know. Um, devil the, devil is- was a, the devil was a fan of gay sex way before everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like as much as she is a bad guy, quote unquote, mm-hmm. she is a very sympathetic character because she's done so much for the people of Irontown, right? Like she's yeah. 
the leader of this huge community of yeah like women who are rescued from brothels and the lepers right like yeah she's i don't know she's cool i can understand why miyazaki likes her so much yeah the only thing is again she just wants to kill these forest gods and that's the problem (laughs) it's just like there's certain villains where you're like yeah you have some good ideas but now you want to commit genocide like that's the problem (laughs) Um, anyways, uh, when Son infiltrates, uh, Irontown, we get a really fun fight with, between her and Eboshi. And when, uh, when Ashitaka, like, gets between them, you know, his, his demon powers kind of take over and he, what does he do? He, he's able to, like, grab, uh, the, the knife and the sword. Yeah, so that's the, that's the one time in the movie where you see, like, the spectral demon worms, like, mm. all over his arms. They're so and- cool. Uh, yeah, he like, what's the the captain of the guard, Gonzo or something like that? Hanzo, Gonzo, is it Gonzo? Like from the Muppets? Uh, uh, anyways, Gonza, Gonza, Gonza. Yes, he like he has a giant katana and Ashitaka yeah. just like bends it over like it's a piece of tin. Foil. That is such a great visual. Yeah, and then he yeah he jumps in between Lady Eboshi and San, or just like he pushes his way through this giant crowd mm. and he just grabs them both. He grabs both their like fighting arms. Um, and he's like, this is over. I'm taking the girl, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then there's that great moment where Lady Eboshi, because she has like a sword and she has like a little tiny, like, it's like an ice pick. It's like a tiny little dagger. Um, and she like slashes at his face and then he just hits her in the gut with like the butt of his sword (laughs) and she is out. (laughs) Oh, that's a good top notch. Oh, I do like that. Like he has that gash on his face and then like it stays around. Like, it's yeah. not like, oh, it doesn't just, like, disappear. Uh, like, it's like, oh, no, that's a wound that, like, he'll have that scar for the rest of his life kind of deal. <laughs> Instead yeah. of being like, oh, just wipe it off. Oh, it was fine. It was just like, I got a splinter. So Yeah, exactly. But it, it, but it is a badass moment. Because especially, like, after that, and he's, like, you know, kind of gives Lady um, uh, Eboshi hit, like, back to the people. And he's like, I got to take San. I'm going to go take her. And I like that, like, the village people are very like hesitant to allow him to do it, but they're also like very supportive at the same time. Like they understand why he's doing it, but they're like, Mm -hmm. please, like they're, uh, you know, pleading with him to be like, please don't do this. Don't do this. Like, you know, it's going to take 10 men to open the, that gate. And the fact that obviously he uses his demon arm to like open the gates of iron town to leave, to go back to the forest is just like, Oh, that's such a great moment. Um, But I, Yeah. yeah. It was just like, oh, I just like that, like, over the uh, his stay in Irontown at the beginning of the movie, that he affected so many people. Because, like, one thing we kind of skipped over is that there's, like, uh, kind of how we are introduced to Lady Eboshi is that, like, she's fighting these wolves. Um, mm. and, two, and, like, a bunch of men fall over this cliff. Like, they're on this cliff side. And they kind, of, they kind of defeat the wolves. Not really, but, like, they sort of, like, weaken them and they end up fleeing. And it's that uh, Ashitaka is, like, at the bottom of this cliff by the river and he saves two men yeah um, karuku and i forget the other one i think it's just like the other one's just like some sort of random like guard yeah he's um, like the nameless guard but like the fact that he comes in and like that's how he kind of you know uh indentures himself to the the people of iron town is that like they were basically just like from like lady Ibushi's point of view it's like they're dead they fell off a cliff and they probably yeah. if they survived they drowned in the river exactly like, there's now no point in trying to save them and instead, it's like, no, he saved them, and then he, like, took them, and he, like, you know, basically, not necessarily brought them back to life, but, like, you know, gave them more life. 
Although I do like that, like, um, was it uh, Kuroku? Uh, yeah. They're in the forest, and afterwards he's like, um, as they're like traveling through the forest, he's like, "Oh, my arm, broken arm's fixed," and then he like extends it. He's like, "Oh no, I that, I was wrong. I was wrong." <laughs> and then you also got those little forest spirit creatures that were like, they're both like super creepy. I forget what they're called, but like they're like these like little creepy sort of black eyed like white little body. They almost look like those blue yes. dolls. Um, Akodama. More yeah, I love how Karuku is so scared of them. He's just like, ah, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna kill me. And it's just like, no, Yakul says they're cool. Like they're they're fine. Like he would have known if they're in danger. But yeah, yeah. but they are kind of creepy to look at because they like their head spin. Oh, totally. And you're like, oh, like they that could easily just be like of you know that could have been in like a horror movie. They're so cute. And, like, once they start leading them through the forest, there's one that's, like, running up ahead of them, and you see his little white bum, and it's very cute. Uh, and then later on, they, uh, they're they all, like, up in the trees, like, riding a roller coaster of wind. It's adorable. That's one thing I, when I went to Japan, we didn't go to the Studio Ghibli Museum, and that's definitely a big regret <laughs> that I will keep with me forever. Yeah, I was also in Japan, and I didn't go. But I'm also kind of glad I didn't go, because I hadn't been watching Studio Ghibli films. You would have just been like, what are these things? And you wouldn't have gotten it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would have lied and been like, yeah, I've totally watched, uh, you know, my neighbor, uh, Totoro. <laughs> also, can I say, sorry, oh. the Sans mask is really cool. I was like, I was, re- I really love that mask that she had in the early parts of the movie. Like, it is it's just very like, cool. It's very standout, like, again... It's just like the visual of it. Like again, it's kind of creepy, but it's not. Like it's just like creepy enough to be like, oh, there's some danger here. But it's also mm-hmm. like kind of just inviting enough to be like, oh, I kind of get why she's wearing it. Like it's just sort of it's like, oh, this is definitely like this is the forest protection. Remember when she when she's on top of that building and then she runs down, and when she lands, uh, they like she stands up and they like shoot her in the face, and her mask shatters. Yeah, it's the hair protection. But I guess it's like a good, man, another symbol, another uh, symbolic like representation of like, oh, the, the guns are more powerful than the wood. And also, you know, we were talking about, you know, Ashitaka using his demon power to open that uh, gate. But like between that and the whole fight with Lady Eboshi, he gets shot through the chest. Remember that part? Oh, yeah. That's a very important part. Like that, like. <laughs> Plays into like at least like thirty minutes, or not maybe thirty minutes, but at least twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, and he the gets shot through the chest, and then he just walks out, which is the craziest thing. I was wondering if that, like, the demon stuff was kind of keeping him alive. That they like that, it, like, in terms of a host. And that's the thing is that like he loses so much blood that he eventually, when they get outside, he collapses. Oh, and when he collapses, falls off the horse. What happens? The wolf grabs him by the head. Remember that? Oh, so oh funny. yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know if like that's like a good thing or not. Because I know like dogs, they're natural. Or is it dogs? Or no, I guess it's cats are, you know, naturally they try to like go for the head. That's yeah. why like people who like train tigers or it's like if something happens and they like the tiger. It's like that the thing that happened with like Siegfried and Roy, where Roy, the reason Roy's injuries were as bad as they were is because like the tiger instinctually tried to save Roy by like grabbing onto his neck but like that's obviously terrible because that's where all like the important parts of a human body is but for like if that was just another cat (laughs) did not know that that wouldn't that wouldn't have been as bad but yeah it's because 
Roy had, I think he had a stroke oh. in the middle of the show. Right, That's right. apparently what happened, yeah. I wasn't sure if they were trying to leave him to die or not. Like, if the expectation was like, well, he'll just die here now. Or if, like, like him being in that, like, specific patch was, like, what was going to, like, keep him alive. Because, like, it seemed like he, like, Ashitaka initially goes to that forest because he thinks it's going to, like, help him get that demon out of him. Well, I know he, he takes the wounded soldiers through there, and that's where he sees the great forest spirit, and uh, that's when his arm goes all crazy, and he, he has to drown it for a minute. Um, I think when San leaves him in that like specific area, it's kind of like she's leaving it up to fate. Like, either he'll die, or the great forest spirit will come and like spare his life. And that's what happened, right? Because he's like, he's lost enough blood that he's basically going to die. And uh, that's why she takes Yakul's harness off and is like, you're free, you know, do what you want. Um, but Yakul just hangs out and like waits to see what happens with Ashitaka. And I mean, I guess they, also Yakul is smart enough to know that like, he's not going to like get onto like wherever that tree is or wherever like uh, Ashitaka's lying on. Like he kind of stands away from it. And I remember one of the creatures, is it the, I wasn't sure if it's the wolf, Moro? Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like Moro being like, "You're smart, like you know that you can't, you know, stand here." Yeah, no, it's it's uh, San that says that, but he just stands in the water, which again, that's like one of my favorite movies of the film. It's just like him standing there, being like, "You're free," but he's also like, "No, but I'm." This is like someone super important to me. Yeah. But like, he's not necessarily there because he has to be there. It cools there because he wants to be there, and I think mm-hmm. that's such an important distinction. Especially yeah. for animals. We also get introduced to the to the blind boar guard, uh blind boar god uh Okodo. Yeah, well one one thing they talk about is like because I don't know if where it is in the movie, but they somebody talks about how the animals are changing. Maybe it's Morrow that talks about it, but like she talks about how the animals are changing. Like the boars are getting dumber and mm-hmm. uh it's just like it's just something that's happening to them is there, you know, they once, you know, were like wise and, uh, you know, obviously they can talk. So they're, they, they're not like regular animals, but yeah, they're becoming kind of like more basic, more going to their natural instincts. And yeah, the, the boars like are, they, they are the, the dumb animals. They're the ones that are like, humans are bad. We will fight the humans. Right. And so even if Okoto is like the smartest of them all, his that's what his people want. His people want to fight the humans. He's like, yeah, let's fuck these humans up. They're also like, they kind of blame the humans for what happened to uh, Nego, who was another boar who was the demon who attacked uh, Ashitaka's village and obviously gave Ashitaka the curse. There's also like, and I'm surprised this wasn't elaborated on more, but like, when uh, San, uh, Yakul, and Ashitaka are heading over to the forest, there's like a scene with like these, like, I guess they're like these gorilla creatures, like these ape gorilla creatures. Yes. And like they don't return, they don't seem to play a, much of a factor in it. But I did like, kind of like that they were like, you know, we want the human. We're going to like eat him so we yeah. can like get the human's power. Although it's San, I kind of feel like just sort of dismisses him uh, or dismisses them rather. Um, to yeah. be like, you don't want this human. Like this human's dying. Like you're gonna turn. You're not gonna turn into what you think you're gonna turn into. Uh, but it's again, it's like one of those things where it's like they seem to have a very similar thinking to boars, which is mm-hmm. like we've got to go fight the humans and take 
take them out because they're going to destroy the forest otherwise. So there is this thing of like the animal kingdom versus, uh, I guess, humans. I, oh, definitely. I, lo- I love the shot where you see like the boars like putting on their own like uh, war paint. Yeah. I love that like, so much. Putting it on their snouts and like hitting other boars in the eyes. And yeah. Yeah. Which is almost like makes it sadder when you find out like a bunch of those boars get slaughtered and then humans like basically take their skin and then like it's felt like they slither across the ground. Yeah, it's so creepy. The creepiest thing. Because later on, like when we see after like that, like kind of confrontation, uh, we end up seeing later on uh, Okoto Nushi uh, comes back and but he's that's when he's like really injured. And then he goes, he's like, no, they're going to, like, save me. I've got my, like, if I get the forest spirit, the, he'll grant me. And, like, me and my, like, men will, like, be able to actually defeat it. And then it's, like, he's the only one who doesn't see that. They're, like, these are all just, like, they, they're all dead. And, like, it's humans in their corpses. Yeah. But that's the thing is that he's blind. So all he can do is smell them. And so he smells their skins. So he thinks all of his boars have come back to life. Um and yeah, that's like that's their whole plan is that he's going to lead them to the heart of the forest. Yeah, it's such a tragic. It's sort of a tragic ending for him. He has this like super tragic uh, exit. Oh yeah, but like the boars like don't are like they don't have a good time in this movie. Like, there's they're probably the one like we talk about how like a lot of these human characters sort of go out get off scot free. The boars do not. They are <laughs> they saw they take the sins of the humans and they just like wear the like the brunt of the brutality. So so yeah the, the, the boars do not do well against the samurai. They can they get pretty they get pretty fucked up. No and they use like humans as bait too, right? Like yeah they like plant bombs underneath soldiers' feet and then blow everything up. It's sad. Like it's like again it's a sad like sort of exit that they have uh, from this world. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I said exit, mm. but um, yeah, again, they're like, they're the ones who are brutalized the most. Cause at least yeah. like the wolves sort of like, they sort of, you know, stand up and they like, they take some casualties, you know, and obviously like the one wolf, she ends up, you know, raising son as her own. Um, although I think at one point, uh, she says it's like, yeah, my ugly human child <laughs> or whatever. Like, just like you're not going to be as pure as a wolf. <laughs> she, like she calls son like an ugly person. Yeah. Well, she calls her ugly and beautiful in the same sentence. Yeah. That, I wasn't sure about that. Yeah. It's like just like my ugly, beautiful daughter. My ugly, beautiful daughter. She's too wolf to be a human and she's too human mm-hmm. to be a wolf. So she doesn't actually fit in anywhere. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, obviously, Ashitaka, he comes back. Uh, just in time, like he does revive just in time. Seems like the bullet is out of his system. He doesn't need stitches, uh, so good for him. Um, the bullet went clear through his body, so there was never a bullet to remove. That was the that's the important part. Oh, um, that makes some more sense. But yeah, it's like a happy, sad moment when he wakes up in the pool because the forest spirit saved his life, but didn't remove the curse. Right, like the the cursed mark is just as present as it ever was. Yeah, it's bittersweet. Like it's one of those things where it's like you you still got this curse, but it's like you're still alive. But then he, I was wondering afterwards. It's like, oh, of course. Like, is this like the force spirit knowing like you'll be the you're the one who can like sort of beat this curse? Like this curse isn't going to destroy you. 
Because like I would assume like if the curse was going to destroy him, they he would have just like put him out of his misery. So I'm like, oh, that might be a positive thing. But obviously in the moment, that's not a positive thing. I do know that uh, San chews up beef jerky and spits it in his mouth, which uh, the, hashtag the beef, couple goals. The beef jerky, man. <laughs> the beef jerky. I was just like, oh, that looks really good. Yeah, just like eat it. He's like, is that, wait, is that your fetish, Jack? You're just like, I want to, I, mean, I want to I mean, be fed I, like I a bird by my to, lover. I want women to feed me beef jerky. That's how I want it to be. <laughs> just that, yeah. Just like feed me beef jerky, babe. <laughs> well, like early on though, it's like she like sucks like what is that the air uh, like the yeah she's sucking like the from, blood from out the wolf. Mouth. Yeah, she's got wolf's blood in her mouth at one point, and now she's like feeding. uh with beef jerky yeah that's the first moment he sees her is uh so maro gets shot just like nago got shot with the big iron ball and uh yeah she's like trying to suck the blood from the wound and then yeah she's like got it all over her mouth and like spits it out i was like wait like it was kind of treated like a snake bite you know and snake bites she's like there's always that i don't know if it's real i feel like it's a hollywood cliche i'm just like you know you got to suck the venom out hmm like, I don't know if that, like, helps or not. I don't know if it's a real thing either. Because I'm like, I saw it, I'm pretty confident I first saw it in, like, Snakes on a Plane. And I'm like, I can't <laughs> trust my snake knowledge to that movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> moving on, uh, Jikobo, he, he tricks Okoto into leading them into the forest spirit. And uh, San tries to stop them, but she gets, like, this, this was a very Akira moment where she gets absorbed by a... Uh, Okoto's corruption, basically. Yeah, because one of the little, like, one of the men in boar's clothing, uh, he whips out a little sling and he hits her in the back of the head with a rock. Yeah. And uh, she kind of gets sleepy time and falls uh, onto his snout and then gets absorbed by demon worms. That's horrifying. Like, just like, that was like such a horrifying scene. It also, oh, again, totally. it gave me some Akira vibes where, like, later on, where, like, when a, uh, uh, shitaka like go basically dives into the corruption to save her like in seeing it i felt like uh you know like in akira where when like the woman uh is crushed to death and uh like i was like oh my god are they gonna go there (laughs) like i was so scared for a moment like that yeah he was gonna like but obviously gets pulled out but it's just like oh wow like it's like oh she's just about to be like fully taken over although the one thing i was surprised by was that because she was like fully engulfed with it but she like didn't really have a ton of corruption herself. So I think what with Ashitaka, what corrupted him when the demon touched him was that Nago was so full of hate, right? Like he's just like the embodiment of hatred. But Akoto wasn't hateful. Like he was starting to succumb to this demon but it wasn't the same sort of thing. Like it looked similar, but it wasn't the same. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Like he didn't have a time where I think it sounds. It feels like probably with Nago, he was wandering around for a long time before he stumbled upon Ashitaka's village. Like, yeah, and this pretty- like this toxic wound was like festering inside of him, and you know his pride had been destroyed because he'd been driven away from his home, and like yeah, he's just like a seething ball of hate, basically, and that's what corrupted Ashitaka was being touched by like the embodiment of that hatred. Okay, I, I get that now. That makes a lot of sense. Like, I think I like that sort of angle to it, where it's like he just didn't have the hate in him to kind of pass on that corruption. 
well, since we've been jumping around, let's jump to the final scene of the movie. Um, but like right when, right at the very end of the movie, when San and Ashitaka are like offering the head back to the Nightwalker, um, they're getting like his his like juices, if you will, are like dripping all over them. And anywhere they get touched with the the goo, the 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 dark mark starts to form. Right, so. Um, it kind of goes along with like the the Nightwalker um, after he gets his head blown off, right? He's just this like like embodiment of fury. Like he's furious. He'll just kill everything in his path, and so anything he touches either dies or, in their case, yeah, becomes cursed. No, it's very deep. Like I when I, when I think about this movie, I've watched it so many times, and when people are like, "What is Princess Mononoke about?" I'll be like, I don't know. I just know that I really <laughs> like it. I like all the characters. I like the story. I like what happens. Can I tell you why it happens and what it means? Not exactly. I just know that I like all of the things. It's a very like beautiful and captivating movie uh, that is slightly perplexing. And I like it. You know? I don't want... Uh, a big bad guy to get destroyed and everyone to have a happily ever after. I don't want that. I want some, some sense of realism, you know, that like everybody at the end of the movie is moving on with their life. And, you know, a lot of them are a bit worse for wear and that's okay. Right. Like lady Aboshi gets her arm ripped off and has to swallow her pride and go back to Irontown and be like, you know, our whole city was destroyed and we're going to pick up the pieces. We're going to move on and we're going to build a better city than we ever have. Yeah. I'm trying to remember uh, Jacobo who gets the last line of the film too. That was the thing. He gets the yeah. last line. What did he say? It was so quiet. I was like, is it, <laughs> is it, well, I give up. You can't win against fools. Yep. That's the line. Right before <laughs> when Ashitaka's like, give the head back. And he's like, don't you get it? Everyone in this world wants everything. And I'm actually going to get it. <laughs> I love that line. That was another great line where I was like, oh Yeah. I love that. But yeah, no, like the one thing we forgot, like we haven't even touched on is like the final, like climatic, like part of the third act of this film is just that they, uh, Lydia Boshi and, yeah. And yeah, he, yeah. What Jack just said, uh, they actually like managed to get the forest, uh, spirit, like get his head off. They cut his head off and it like turns into this like whole, like the blob kind of deal where it's like, if it touched, like, Basically, he kind of splatters all around and uh, searching for his head. But it's like if he touches you or like the essence of him touches you, he just sucks all of your life out. So it's just like killing everyone and everything in its path. It's like some of the forest is dying. All the animals are dying. The people are dying. Like it's all dying like in the search of his head. Um, And I don't know. I just kind of love the visuals of it. Like and like the fact that. The fact that, like, when as they're escaping, they're obviously dodging these things, and like, there's like these great moments of them going into the water, and like, the one guy's like, "I can't swim. I don't know how to swim." And he's like, "Just walk on the bo- bottom of the water," and you see like the people swimming, and then like the, the one guy, Lady Uboshi's like sidekick, just kind of sort of walking <laughs> the bottom <laughs> yeah. of the water, um, and you know, then you get to like this big cliffside, and you see like these four guys, and they're basically carrying the head, like. Uh, you know how, like, I guess, like, in, like, movies like the Aladdin, uh, where, like, the, when the king is being walked around, it's, like, four guys, yeah. like, holding him on, like, 
like a wood thing. Like that's how I kind of viewed it. I'm like, shouldn't it just really be one guy running with this like box? But no, it's four guys. I guess yeah. the head's very heavy. Well, and they've sealed it inside of a container that is very heavy, right? Like they've mm-hmm. got this big iron box with a lid and they seal the head inside there. And then, yeah, it takes four guys to run with it. Yeah, I guess like I was probably thinking like, what is it? Is it like tons? Uh, was it tungsten where it's just like the heaviest? <laughs> they're like, no, seal it in the tungsten. And then they're just like trying to like get up this mountain. But I, I don't yeah. know. I love the whole, all the visuals of that. Like just like as he's like looking for his head and you're like, as the hand comes down and people are running away, you got like it gets to like Iron Town and like initially like the women of Iron Town who are like sort of the holding guard there, they beat the samurais. They're like, no, we're not gonna leave. And then finally it's like, no, you gotta leave. Like you're gonna die yeah. if you don't. Yeah. Anyway, I, listen. Forest Spirit becomes the night walker at night. And that's when they blow his head off, is like in that transformation sequence. And yeah, he basically becomes like the embodiment of death and is just like anything he touches dies. And it's like, that's disgusting. I love it. It's not, I don't, I don't want to use the word Akira, but I just, I, I love those scenes in these movies where again, everything just goes to shit and you just see the destruction. Yeah. yeah. It like it's that. It also feels like uh, sort of like you can kind of almost tell some of like, I don't know if you've seen Kyle, uh, your name, but there's definitely like elements of like when the town of, Oh, I don't want to spoil your name if you haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen your name. It's, uh, it's really Is good. that the Lil Nas X video where he does a left hand no, for Satan? No, we're talking the, the, <laughs> no. That's Call Me By Your Name. But it didn't oh, okay, okay. Name. Yeah, Montero. Um, ah, yes, yes, yes. No, and so yeah, they give the forest spirit his head back. And then right after they give him his head back, he dies. And that's like, isn't that like a beautiful ending? It's like, you know, he has to get back to the forest before dawn. Uh, and he doesn't. So he's just like gets his head back, stands up, dies, falls over. And then I love that um, Iron Town just becomes like you know, like it's like Midgard after the fall. Like it's everything; it's all overgrown with uh, plants and everything. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's like the forest kind of like you know everything he was touching did kind of regrow at the end. Like mm-hmm. just just because like he was looking for his head and it was killing all life. In like the night form, like in the daytime, it's like kind of back to life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like I do like that. Like um, uh, Jikobu, he's uh, he's basically going like, well, like when he's you know when they're running with it, it's like, what's the point? Like it's almost like you know the sun's almost up. Like we almost have this. Yeah. Um, and again, he he was right. Like it's not like he was wrong because like obviously uh, the force spirit died. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things reasons it's like Jigabu is not like this terrible character because he's still like he does relinquish the head. Like, I mean, it does take him to basically being like, "I'm about to die. Fine, I'll <laughs> give the head back." Yeah, they're literally standing on a rock surrounded by death goo, and he's like, "Okay, you can have the head back." I do like like Ashitaka. Like, so many times in this uh, movie, he like he makes like this big declarative statement. And it's like, "I'm here because of this reason." And yeah. I do like at the very end, he's like, I give you back your head. <laughs> like, that's like kind of like the tip, like kind of the tip of his hat all those times where he just kind of yells like declaratively why he's in a state. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. All right. I, th- I think we've covered it thoroughly. I guess let's get to our favorite segment. Uh, who is the speed wagon of this movie for you guys? Speed wagon, 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 speed wagon,
Speed wagon. Allow me to elucidate ya. The name is Robert E.O. Speedwagon. The Speedwagon, for those of you just joining in. I have no idea why this would be the first episode of Is This Anime for you to listen to, but the Speedwagon is the, the favorite uh, supporting character of of this movie. Who is so who's your Speedwagon? I, I'll start. I I'm gonna go with me. I'm I'm going with the basic choice. Uh, Lady Eboshi is my speed wagon. I think she's awesome. She's an interesting character. Again, she def- she's not a Disney villain. Not a Disney princess, not a Disney villain. And, you know, ev- even after all this shit, she's like, you know what? Let's build a better town in the end. She's hashtag girl boss. <laughs> hashtag girl boss. Uh, Mal- Malcolm, are, are you pro girl boss or, or who are you pro? I, I mean, I liked her character. I'm not going to lie. I actually think I have a different boss i mean i was thinking initially you cool i really do like you cool as a character um but uh it's actually uh karuku's wife she doesn't have a name toki uh, is it toki yeah oh, toki toki i really love toki i thought toki was great like she was just so like funny. I, I love that like at the beginning when like her husband's like saved and she's just like giving him shit it's like how are you supposed to be an you know an ox driver now when you're all injured yeah you know and it's like, like you should have died so I could get a real husband. <laughs> you know, that she's the same one who's like, well, it's better to be, you know, working the iron here than being in the brothel in the city. You yeah. know, she's also like, oh, like she sees a, a Shitaka's like face for the first time. It's like, you're not handsome. You're gorgeous. Like, I just yeah. love like all these small lines that she had. She was just like banger after banger for one lines and you know and i also like that she was like the leader of the um of the people who were left behind in iron town to defend it like she is a leader in herself like she might not be like lady Ibushi, but she's definitely like someone who's important um yeah. and she kind of understands like her role and she's clearly like you know probably better of a sidekick than lady Ibushi's actual sidekick um so yeah <laughs> so she's my speed wagon i thought she was great damn that's that's a good uh that's a good reasoning i like it uh i have a really obscure character that i like a lot for some reason when ashitaka gets to iron town before he goes to the bellows he has dinner with the all the men and they explain there's this one character he's kind of like a like a portly guy um and he explains what uh what happened to Nago and how like they went and they killed Nago or they shot Nago and uh, he ran off. And then uh, it's the, it's when Ashitaka gets all silent and he's like, his arm is starting to twitch and he like grabs onto it. And the guy's like, uh, is your, is your arm hurting you? And Ashitaka is just like, I was just thinking about how the boar God probably died with hate in his heart, blah, 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 blah. And I just love that, that one random guy. I, I think he's I think he's awesome. I like his voice. I like his character. Uh, I think he shows up later when uh, Ashitaka is trying to lift the dead boar off of the wolf. Um, he's in that scene as well. But oh, that but, guy! Oh yeah, yeah whatever, I really I I do like that guy. That guy was great. Whatever that character's name is, uh, he's you know, he's got two scenes in the whole movie. Um, yeah, he's very very believable character. I like him. I like his work. Yeah, I wish I knew what his name was, but. Oh, he has three. He has three memorable scenes because he's also the one when Ashitaka is trying to push open the gate with the gaping wound in his in, in his side. He's mm. the guy who's like he, who shouts. He's like, "You're gonna kill yourself!" Right? <laughs> he's, he's that guy. Oh yeah, he is. Oh man, yeah. that's a that's he. Yeah, he's great. Three 
memorable scenes. <laughs> That's what you need to be a speed wagon. Is you just gotta like show up, do your, you know, just you know, be memorable and then leave. Yeah. Nailed it. All right. Uh final thoughts. Who who wants to go first? Final thoughts. It's a fantastic movie. But when I watch Princess Mononoke, I don't want anything different to happen. I wanted to I just like exactly the way it happens. I never want anything to change. I just think it's a like as close to being like a perfect story as you can get in this world. Yeah, again, I th- this is Miyazaki's epic. I I think it stands out so, again, Miyazaki isn't like a director who's used a lot of violence. I think I mean, you know, I'm I'm a guy who likes stuff like Mortal Kombat. Um so so the fact that this is like one Miyazaki's kind of most visually arresting films just in that regard when I first saw this movie again when I was in the position of Malcolm and not knowing anything going in I'm like oh holy shit this shit's getting real um but yeah I think so many of Miyazaki's films they're they're all great in their various different ways but this this is his epic this is like I don't know what you would call it. it it's it's yeah I I think it's a fantastic film it's gorgeous again even even me this is only like my second or third time watching it but I just really enjoy it. I think it's just remarkably stunning. I still don't fully understand it. I'm really glad we had Kyle here to to really make me appreciate it even more. To be honest, that's what I'm here for. I I there is a there is a Miyazaki quote um, because this is the last time we're going to cover Miyazaki again. But I I do want to talk about one thing where he where he he bashes Disney. Nice. <laughs> he, he someone asked him about the comparison. Um, how he's been called, you know, the Japanese Disney. And uh, he takes he takes it very offensively because he's like, no, Disney Disney was a producer. I I am involved in every aspect of animation. I am an animator. I direct. Uh, and he compares himself more to the nine old men who uh, were kind of like the original Disney animators and made up for a lot mm. of the uh, the Disney classics. So I it, it's cool because I think you know it, it's like people who say they admire Steve Jobs when Steve Jobs was just a businessman and Steve Wozniak was the actual programmer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he, 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 he talks about Disney in that way. And he also find he also says he doesn't like many of uh, Walt Disney's films. He finds them too simplistic and he feels they tell children lies. Yeah, of course. He's not wrong. I mean, like, <laughs> like when you look, go back, especially in like the early movies when Walt Disney was alive and had influence, it's like, first of all, there are, most of them are anti-Semitic, if not straight up racist. And then, uh yeah second of all yeah they are these super simple like he was just lifting fairy tales like he didn't even like bother to like do much he was just like oh here's a grim fairy tale i'm gonna make a movie about it whereas like Mm -hmm. with miyazaki it's like so clear that he's put so much thought and energy uh into each of his movies that it's like oh no there's a reason why miyazaki is a master um and like Mm -hmm. disney is a poser so yeah i mean there's there's a reason why, you know, people are still watching Nausicaa and they're not watching Pinocchio other than for, you know, historical purposes, I guess. No, totally. Even with like a film like Spirited Away, you could look at it and be like, this is very much like Alice in Wonderland. But every single aspect of the movie is completely different. But it has the same sort of vibe, right? Like it's it's similar, but it's completely different. Whereas Walt Disney's just like, yeah, Sleeping Beauty. She uh, falls asleep, then she wakes up. <laughs> yeah, it all becomes about merchandising. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. his whole dream was to build the theme parks. Like that was that was it. He wasn't. He didn't even care that much about 
the films. It was about like the business and honestly making himself a brand, which he did. Yeah. Like Disney's a last name. Like it's a surname. It's not even like that became something more. Um, yeah, yeah. You know what? It was interesting going in. Like I, I'm not a big fantasy guy. Um, you know, I think I come in with like each, uh, kind of episode of this podcast with like skepticism about what I'm about to watch. And, you know, I think last week, you know, we watched some, something that was just trash. And I want to say that, like, that this was, like, um, really incredible. Like, this is, you know, blew me away. It made me think a lot. Like, it was – and, like, when I say that, I mean, like, there's just, like, there's so many deep questions. And, like, even just talking about it now for the podcast, I was like, oh, like, it was so great to be able to watch it and then dissect it with you two. Like, it was like, oh, this is amazing. And, like, I just – the visually, it's so – great and yeah it's epic um there are definitely points where i'm like i don't know uh if i totally get this but i also i'm just like i'm in for the ride and i appreciate that with like auteurs and i consider miyazaki like an auteur like where i mean he's absolutely an auteur where i'm just like i trust his vision he's earned my trust i think he's earned so many people's trust i'm like i i'm here for it and i feel like yeah he asks so many interesting questions like just thematically. Um, and I love that he like sometimes give you, gives you answers and sometimes you got to come up with it on your own. And I like, this is also like some of the, like there's definitely times when, especially when like animals are like, you know, speaking characters where it like kind of comes out hokey. Like it's funny. Like, you know, like I really, I do really enjoy the Lion King. Like it's definitely one of those movies I watched when I was a kid, but you know, at the same time, you know, it's like, I'd much rather have watched, you know, like Prince's uh, Minoki. Uh, like, I think those animals in this movie were much more interesting than, like, Scar mm-hmm. uh, and, like, Akuna Matata. Um, well, and the animals also act like actual animals. Even when they're speaking, they're, they're, it's still, like, them kind of using animal logic. Yeah, they, they are animal logic. Like, the boars are, you know, aggressive. The, you know, um, the wolves are a little more cunning. And, like, even Yakul as the elk, just the companion, like faithful, you know, stoic. Um, the guy, there's like also, no, yeah, no characters that I truly hated where I was like, fuck, this person's back on the screen. I got to deal with their, like, there's so many things we've covered on this podcast where like a lot of the like protagonists are very whiny mm. and you're just like, fuck you. Like, I don't like you <laughs> as a person. Like, why, why are you the hero? Like, why is it? And like, I like that for like Ashitaka. He could have fallen into that trope. And instead it's like, He's like, yeah, again, this reluctant kind of hero. It's like he's very capable, like he's capable for the corruption. But it's like, you know, the fact that he kind of like is looking to bridge this uh, gap between like the forest and humans. Uh, And it doesn't really, he never really truly takes sides, even though he's accused of taking sides uh, at different points by both sides. was just really fascinating to watch. And like I said, this is, yeah, this is a masterpiece. Like I think Miyazaki is like, whole probably filmography is just full of masterpieces. Like, I don't think there's uh, truly a terrible Miyazaki film. Um, unless you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I haven't heard anything. I feel like we got a, I don't, I don't know if Ponyo is bad. Ponyo, I actually really enjoyed, but I feel Ponyo would be the one to push you the most. Really. <laughs> Thanks, well, Ponyo. For someone who doesn't enjoy the fantasy genre, I think it, uh, it definitely, 
means a lot to me and Jack to hear such a such a glowing review from Malcolm on this. Yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Malcolm, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle came on here. Kyle was a bit earlier, and I was like, I'm not sure if Malcolm's gonna like this. <laughs> no, this is this is probably one of the best fantasy things. I'm just gonna say things that I've you know yeah. I've watched that I actually really enjoyed. Like I'll be honest, Lord of the Rings slept through it. Like I just mm. couldn't like I couldn't stay up. I don't understand why. I just I just have. Like every time I've tried to watch it, I'm just like, this is it for me. I wasn't a big Game of Thrones guy. Like I wanted to like it more. And then I just like didn't get to it. It's funny. I was at the gym today and uh, one of the guys at the gym was just like trying to convince this other guy to like watch Game of Thrones. And it's like, no. it's fantasy porn. All right. It's fantasy porn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I guess, <laughs> but, a, um, but, but this is just like, yeah, it has a lot of heart and like, um, and yeah, just really deep. And yeah, I think this is, this is, I wish I kind of watched this sooner, like to be honest. So I can't recommend it enough. That's great. So I guess it's time for us to reveal uh, what our next uh, thing we're going to be covering. And that's going to be, uh, another highly influential '90s classic. Uh, maybe what's turning into pretty much '90s month. I feel for for us. Uh, we're covering Ghost in the Shell next week. Ooh. And we're not watching the Scarlett Johansson movie. <laughs> no, Hot <laughs> Twist. We are. No, we're not. Uh, we're <laughs> Asian we're World, Scarlett the- Johansson. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that Marvel is about to have two films back to back starring an Asian woman. <laughs> Oh, no. oh man! Oh, uh, so so no, we we'll we're gonna talk uh, Ghost in the Shell, the, the movie specifically, uh, because there's also many anime series. But no, we're we're just gonna do the movie, which 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 is a good standalone film. Um, so yeah, really excited to cover that one. That's gonna be a lot of fun. It's it's a film that totally doesn't pose any sorts of existential questions at all, except for all the ones it does. <laughs> <laughs> And anyways, uh, let's let's talk socials. Kyle, where can people find you? Uh, at my house. <laughs> <laughs> give, the, give the people your address and phone number right now. I don't think I really use much in the way of socials anymore. Um, at Kyle's Bottom on Twitter. I have a terrible Twitter. Uh, at Kyle Bottom on TikTok. I have a terrible TikTok. You can find me on either of those. Uh, Malcolm, where can people? Well, actually, yeah, Malcolm, I guess it's just Instagram for you because you don't really use Twitter anymore. Yeah, so I I've been plugging for a while uh, my Twitter, but I've been locked out of it. It was linked to an old email that got hacked a few years ago. Um, but it's the same handle as my Instagram account, which is my Instagram is at Malcolm R J McLeod. Technically, I ha- I I have this Twitter account. I said I was going to come up with a new Twitter handle. Haven't yet. When I do, I'll announce it on the show. I'm not on TikTok, um, and uh, maybe I should. Maybe that, maybe instead of signing up for uh, Twitter, maybe I'll get a TikTok account. But yeah, just find me on Instagram at Malcolm RJ McLeod. And what about you, Jack? You can find me on Twitter at OnlyRealJackM. I use Twitter quite a bit. Um, and for Instagram, you can find me at Jack is Jack. Um, the second Jack has no C. Uh, so if you were trying to find me, well, I, we post in the show notes too, so it should be pretty easy. And also you can find our podcast at is this anime pod, same handle on both Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, I think that ends uh, the episode well enough. Uh, any, any last words, people? Excelsior. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you. Later, power bums. Mm-hmm.